0: Forget uh, was William Paul Whaley, graduated from University of Georgia. I know his parents are really proud of that, and we sure don't want to forget William Paul today. And so congratulations to him. Well, if you've been tracking with us online, you know that we're still in the book of Mark. And I just want to say thanks to the tech and the band for their faithfulness over the last couple months. Uh, you know, if some of you have been here during that time, either with helping with tech or band, or a few of you have been part of the interview. And you know that uh, this was like a unique place to be over those two months. And I think it's something that's never going to be forgotten. Uh, it was a very special time. It really was. And we missed you greatly, uh, people sitting in the seats. And we look forward to our entire uh, congregation, our entire church being back here to worship soon, hopefully. But at the same time, we, it was a very special time. And it reminds me a lot maybe of what the earliest church experienced when they gathered to worship in secret and small, and and realizing the persecution they were under, and so as we frame up the book of Mark, and as we talk about the book of Mark, um, you know so much of what Jesus is going through and leads to his church, results in great persecution, great suffering, and that's really the question that I really want to focus on today: is what do we do when God doesn't feel like He's there? What what do we do when we feel like we've been abandoned by God? And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 15. If you want to flip over there, I know everyone in here is familiar with the, the game Simon Says. I'm not going to make you play it. I thought about getting the seniors up here and let them do a game of Simon Says, but I know that Halley, you wouldn't go for that, would you at all? No. Um, but uh, as Simon Says, you know the deal. You know, if Simon Says do something, you do it. If Simon doesn't say to do it, then you don't do it. Well, there's a guy in our text today that most people don't even know who, the, who this guy is. Simon of Cyrene. And you may recognize what he did when we look at the text, but the name may not ring a bell to you. And the thing is, Simon in our text, he doesn't say a word, but we need to base our life on what Simon does, not necessarily what Simon says in this passage. Because Simon, what he does is literally carry Jesus' cross. And Luke tells us, Mark doesn't say this, but Luke tells us he carried it behind Jesus. And I don't think anyone who has read the Gospels, when you hear that text, you don't think about Mark eight thirty four. We talked about this many weeks ago. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone's going to follow me, Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, just like I'm doing, you need to take up your cross, and you need to follow after me. And Simon literally does that. So Simon says discipleship. If we don't take up our cross then we're not following Jesus. Jesus took up his cross in obedience to the will of the Father. I only do what the Father says to do. I only do what I see the Father doing. The Father said, Jesus, here is your task. You must take up your cross, go to Calvary, and be crucified. And the same thing goes for us. If we're going to truly follow Jesus, we must take up our cross and follow. So I hope that sticks with you. What does Simon say in those moments and then in those moments where we feel abandoned and we feel like, what am I doing here? What's going on here that God is for us and not against us? Let's pray and we'll look at this text. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us life and truth that we can anchor our very lives into. And when the storms inevitably come, and as we'll hear today during the interview segment, just this massive overwhelming things that happen can happen in this lifetime. And God, that there's moments when we just feel that you've abandoned us or we feel uh, confused and we don't understand what's going on, God. We thank you that your word points us to Jesus Christ and it points us to the cross and it points us to why we're here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Mark 15, let's go back one verse. We talked about this verse last week that Pilate gave in to the crowd. The crowd wanted to... Uh, crucified Jesus, they even let Barabbas, who was a convicted insurrectionist, off the hook, let this guy go, but Jesus, we want him to be crucified. They were spurred on by the religious leaders. We know a great deal of the people loved Jesus, especially the people in the countryside, people from the rural areas, but the, the, the religious leaders, their influence there in Jerusalem, they were able to work up the crowd to turn against Jesus to result in Jesus being the last part of verse 15 he was scourged. And I want us to think about scourge for a second. That's a word I talked about last week for briefly, but Jesus was literally a, a whip with, with several different lashes coming out of the whip. And they had bone fragments, they had metal pieces in them. And Jesus, if you saw Passion of the Christ, he, he, he leaned down and they whipped him multiple times with this lashing, this scourging. And that within itself would kill many, many people. But the Romans were experts in torture. They knew how to bring a person right next to death's door but not kill them because they wanted to make a point here. This was all about showing, here's what happens when you turn against Rome. Here's what happens when you try to rebel. We're going to make an example of you. And so Jesus wasn't the first person to be scourged, and he wasn't the first person to be crucified, but obviously Jesus is crucified and killed for reasons beyond anyone else who had ever been crucified or killed. And so it was designed by the Romans to be humiliating. A Roman citizen could not be crucified. It was gruesome. It was terrible. And it was for the worst of offenders. And so imagine Jesus' followers for a second. Imagine the people who had followed him as he calmed the storm and he killed the sick. As he did all these miracles, raised Lazarus from the dead. I'm sure they're perplexed at this moment. What's going on? This is a guy who had authority over everything demons submitted to him yet we see him now at the mercy of the Romans what's going on with a king how could this be happening and then verse 16 carries on with just the extent of what happens to Jesus and the soldiers led him away inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters and they called together the whole battalion so a battalion of Romans would have been 600 people And they called, obviously, probably not all those 600 were there. Many had other duties. But they called together this big group of people, the Roman soldiers, and they began to just mock Jesus. And verse 17 says, they even took the opportunity to clothe him in purple, which would signify royalty. So you want to be king? You say you're the king of the Jews? Here you go, king. Let's put this robe on you. And then it says, they twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. So imagine the mockery, the ridicule, and the followers of Jesus thinking, how in the world could this be happening? And has Jesus stood there and he took this punishment and this abuse, and this, on top of that, just the, the, the sarcasm and the shame for us. In verse 18, they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And you remember he had the crown of thorn on his head and they began to strike his head with a reed, a big bamboo pole. And they began to hit him over the head with it and spit on him. And they knelt down in in sarcasm, in mockery and gave homage to him. The scripture verse says, Jesus suffered these things. Jesus was treated with this extreme cruelty and this extreme just, uh, why would they want to treat Jesus in this manner? I think a couple of reasons. I I've questioned what was the Romans motivation for this. But they were obviously loyal to Caesar and think about even in our world like peacekeeping forces that go in and occupy a land today. You know that these guys who are dealing with the civilians who hate them and 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 they had to follow the orders but but they're, they're they're reluctant to do it and oftentimes they're agitated and they they, they rebellious and they have you know, just an attitude of disrespect toward the authority that's there, the peacekeeping force there. That's kind of what the Romans would have been to the Jewish people, and and so there was this underlying animosity and tension that was always existing. And then Jesus, by the Roman soldiers' account, I mean Jesus was declaring himself the King of the Jews. They didn't understand the intricacies and the, the details and the theology behind all this stuff that's going on with the the, the religious leaders of the day. All they see is here is a guy who wants to. Bring on an insurrection against the Romans, the occupying forces. And here's Roman soldiers who want to show the Jewish people who's in charge. We're in control. And so they lash out and they take this out on Jesus. And so this needless, brutal torture of Jesus would have been common to anyone who would rebel against Caesar and against Rome. But Jesus seems to have gotten it particularly bad. And maybe it was the fact that Jesus refused to defend himself. Jesus refused to speak up, but here we go, and Jesus was just taking this abuse, taking this rejection, and as he suffers there for us, what do we take away from that? There's so many things that we could take away, but one thing I want to talk specifically to our seniors in high school today is this. Oftentimes, we think about God's will. We think about, what's God's will for my life? And we begin to line up the big questions for what's God's will. You know, most of you probably crossed the first one, where am I going to go to college? What's next for me? You've made that decision. And now you may be even questioning, am I going to make it to the college campus? That's one that's unique to you, not for, uh, uh, you know, generations in the past. But the next question is, you know, what am I going to major in? Maybe you've tackled that one. Then it's, you know, what job am I going to do once I do graduate? Who am I going to get married to? That's a big decision. And so we look at God's will as all these things that have to line up in our life in order for us to be a productive citizen. And those are all incredibly good and important decisions. But ultimately, what's most important is regardless of what we do in our lives, that our worldview is centered around Jesus and centered around the cross. So regardless of what occupation or what guy we date or what girl we date, or what career we go into, regardless of those things, if Jesus is the center, if Jesus is the foundation, then all of those things, God takes your desires and your loves and your passions and your gifts, and he allows you to use those things in a way that bring glory and honor to him. And so when we think about God's will, we think about using everything that we have for him. But in one area of God's will that oftentimes we don't like to entertain, we don't like to think about, we don't like to really contemplate, is found in First Peter four nineteen, where Peter writes: Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. So, what does this verse say? It says, "While God is faithful, he, he we're going to suffer. We're going to deal with things in life." particularly because of our alignment with Jesus Christ, that we're going to take abuse. And in fact, in verse 14, he specifically mentions being insulted for the name of Christ. You take insults, you take ridicule, mockery for the name of Christ. And so while most of us in our lifetimes probably will not deal with physical persecution, I would think, in America at least, that we know that Mockery exists today, that it's hard to go onto a college campus and live for Jesus and take a stand for Jesus and not take some level of ridicule and some level of mockery. And truthfully, if we're not getting that at some level, chances are that we're not really tracking after Jesus. And I noticed just randomly in this verse, it says that, Uh, we entrust our souls to the faithful creator and this isn't the point of the scripture but I just think about that little word the fact that you even believe that Jesus is the creator that God is the creator of the universe will give you ridicule on a college campus you'll be considered small minded yet you'll be considered an outcast in the academic community in the scientific community if you think that there was really a creator God seriously come on follow the science right we've heard that word a lot that phrase a lot over the last few days follow the science And they'll tell you that. Follow the science. How can you have a creator God? And so just in that fact alone, you could experience mockery and insults. And so suffering is part of the deal. Why? Jesus suffered. And so why would those who were following Jesus then not expect to be suffering as well? Why not? We're going to suffer as well, just like Jesus suffered. But in that verse in Peter, it says that we entrust our souls to the faithful creator while we just keep doing good. We just do good. We keep doing what God has called us to do. Even in the mockery, and the ridicule, we just keep pressing forward. We keep being bold. We keep having just our minds focused on him. Our hearts are on what he wants us to do and not being swayed by those around us. Because God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy and we commit ourselves to God. And so those who are of high school age or college age in here, I think particularly we're sensitive at this age to mockery and ridicule. And I want to encourage you, if you do experience that, realize that that's, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're insulted, if you're mocked for righteousness sake, man, blessed are you. You're you're blessed. And you have to recall the words of Scripture at that point, the words of Jesus, where he says that this time you're identifying yourself with him. You're becoming like him in his crucifixion in a very, very small way. And so God is trustworthy. And so even in those moments, and, and I remember in small ways being mocked, even though I went to a Christian college and there wasn't a lot of mockery against Christ there. Uh, it, just growing up in my little town in West Virginia, I remember a few times when we would head to church on, uh, on a certain you know Wednesday night or Sunday night, And some of the guys who lived around me would kind of mock me and my brothers because we went to church. And and that's, again, very small. But when you're a kid, when you're younger, when you're very impressionable, those things can really, really shape you and and affect you. And you're like, well, do I really want to be mocked and and ridiculed for that? But that's going to happen to those who follow Jesus. And he says, just keep doing good. Trust your creator, God. And so Jesus is going through all this mockery. Verse 20, he says he's being stripped of his clothing here they put this purple robe on him anybody ever had a band-aid over a wound and and you you just jerk that band-aid off or you pulled off even slow and what it does to a wound that's open and bleeding has been bleeding or it's starting to clot up and you pull that off and it just opens it up and the pain that's involved think about jesus his back's been scourged it's been beaten multiple times the skin has been ripped off to the bone and it's exposed And they take this robe and they put it on Jesus and they're hitting him and and beating him. And then all of a sudden they take that robe and they just rip it off his back. Just the pain that he would experience just in something like that. And they let him out, verse 20 says, they let him out to crucify him. So they had finally come to the end of their mockery. They had come to the end of making sport of Jesus. And we see Jesus here as he's led out and he's led into the streets of Jerusalem in Jerusalem. The Romans, again, wanted this to be a public spectacle. They took him down the most crowded streets. This is the way they did crucifixion. And Jesus had reached a breaking point. Jesus, in his humanity, even though he was capable of calling down angels, he was able to, to have easily stopped this. He had the power to do so. But in his humanity, he was so weak and he was so broken from the beating and being up all night and the, extra, the punching and the, the kicking and the, and the slapping. And the beats and the scourgings, that he, he broke down. And verse 21 said he couldn't even carry his own cross. And look what happens. They compel a passerby, Simon of Cyrene. Simon, a guy who's from Africa, who is coming in from the countryside. He's coming in, and, and then it says this. And this is really special, and we could just easily fly by this and miss this. That he's the father of Alexander and Rufus and he, they compel him, and that's a nice word, compel. This wasn't like, hey, buddy, do you mind doing this? This is a compel, like, push, and they just shove him in there and say, you're doing this, you're carrying Jesus' cross. So either the Roman soldiers weren't satisfied with the pace that Jesus was moving or that Jesus was just broken down and just fell down and he couldn't carry it, and they wanted to get this show, keep moving, and so they grabbed this guy. And what appears to be just completely at random that they grab this guy and they just pull him in and say, okay, you're recruited, carry the cross for Jesus. But Simon of Cyrene was anything but random. And what's interesting is, because it does say the father of Alexander and Rufus, Mark's writing, again, we've talked about this many times, he's writing to Gentile believers in Rome. He's writing to people in Rome who, and and the way he words this, they know this guy. They, they, They know Rufus, and they know Alexander, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Why would you add that detail in? If there wasn't some significance to that. And so what this Roman soldier thought was completely a random act. Hey, grab that guy. Grab him. Pull him in here. They thought it was a completely random act. But it wasn't a random act. This was God's supernatural providence and sovereignty in the situation. And again, Mark's readers were just familiar with these guys. In fact, in Romans 16, verse 13, it talks about Rufus and his mother in the church there. And so... just connect the dots, all scholars would agree there's no reason Mark would have added this in if Rufus for sure and Alexander and his mother did not put their faith and trust in Jesus and more than likely because of the way the household um, rules and laws would have been done at that time if the father had come to faith and the others would have come to faith so many scholars believe that Simon himself put his faith in Jesus more than likely after the resurrection and so if there's any doubt, a couple levels here, if there's any doubt that the Bible isn't trustworthy, I mean, you don't throw in actual people who actually walked on the earth at the same time Jesus was alive, and you're writing to this audience, and you say, hey, this is the father of those guys you know, Rufus and Alexander. I mean, what a confirmation that the Bible is historically accurate, and is true, and that they're writing to people who were actually eyewitnesses. And the reason I tell you that, maybe you think, well, I know that. But do you live like that? Do I live like that? Do I live as if this stuff is worth building my life upon? Or do I say, I want some Jesus to take with me to college, but pretty much I want college to be about my life and my career to be about my life? Or is Jesus the center, and he's everything, and I say, I'm stepping into your life. My identity is in you, Jesus, and everything I do and every decision I make where I go on Friday night, what classes I take, what church I'm involved in, what campus ministry I participate in. All of these decisions are based upon my identity in Jesus because that's the main thing. The main thing is he's real and he exists and he rewards those who seek after him. And so if there's any doubt about the Bible, this should put it to rest. is the simple fact that these were people who were eyewitnesses and Simon was there and he turns to Jesus as a result of the fact that he's recruited in by random to be part of this crucifixion scene. And there's just nothing random that happens. To the Roman soldiers, it appeared random, but Simon probably thought, why am I being picked out of here? But God had a plan, and God had a purpose. And think about this. Think about grabbing Jesus' cross and begin to carry it. And his blood just running down all over Simon as he carried it. And I can't help but to tie that together that Jesus' actual blood ran over him. But if he turned to Jesus and put his faith in Jesus, Jesus' blood again washed over him. Giving him forgiveness of sin. The purpose why Jesus came in the first place. That Jesus was abandoned so that we could know life and we could know God and we could have a relationship with God. I can't help but think that Simon felt very, very picked, out, picked on. I can't think, but at that time he would think, why would, why would you pick me? I'm just coming in from the countryside. I'm just here passing by. I'm not even like, involved in this. I'm not, uh, you know, I have no stake in this. And they, they grab me and pull me out of the crowd. And some people even say that possibly he was picked on because of his race, being from Africa. There's not real proof of that, but it could be a possibility seeing that, that he was from Africa. He would have felt extremely abandoned. But God turns that and uses it to bring his sons, his his wife, to Jesus. And there they are in the church in Rome. So no matter what you face, no matter what you go through, God's word speaks truth. I think one of the number one complaints I got from students when I was a student pastor was this. I don't feel God. I just don't feel like he's there. You know, students... You don't grow out of that. There are still times where you think, God, I just feel like you're so distant. Have you abandoned me? Are you there? But his word speaks truth to us. His word tells us we're afflicted in every way, but we're never crushed. It says that if God's is for us, who can be against us? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If God didn't spare his son, won't he give us everything else we need to live a life of godliness? And to be able to live through whatever he's called us to live through for his purposes and for his will. What can separate us from the love of God? God, it feels like you're separated, but your word says nothing can separate me from your your love. And And the cross proves that to be true. The cross is my proof. It's my evidence that nothing can separate me from your love. And so look at the cross. Look at the cross. Well, one thing I have loved about this time of our church being, a, being able to do just online and not having a live service is the interview portion. And I didn't want to scrap that today because we do have people here. And today I've asked DJ Strong and Heather Whitaker to come up here and join me. And I called DJ on Wednesday. And I asked him if he would be willing to be part of this discussion, and and he agreed graciously. And I asked him this question: thanks. I asked him, I said, D- you know, when you're f- you feel abandoned by God, how do you? What do you do? How do you turn to God in those moments? And he, and he said this. He said, I don't can't say I really, you know, I, I've never felt like God has abandoned me. Is that right? I've never felt like God has abandoned me. Yeah. and and, and, and then he went on to say, but in those situations what he does feel in in those kind of things we'll talk about in a second but since that happened on Wednesday was that Thursday then you got a call that something else devastating happened just catch us up to speed Wednesday evening late
1: um, one of the my sister-in-law does fostering so she fosters children Um, and we got word that one of the one of the twins that she had from the time they were uh five weeks old I think to about two and a half years was murdered uh, apparently by his own father
0: so so just from the time I said hey let's just talk because as you know that um he's went through the death of a child in the in the last three months and and then this turns around it happens yeah. on top of that so so is your answer still the same to me now today as it was on Wednesday morning that you 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 know God hasn't abandoned you
1: absolutely because um um the despair I feel, how I am now, if I felt abandoned by God, too, I don't think that I'd be sitting here right now talking to you, or to all of you guys.
0: Well, that verse, yeah, I think, of afflicted but not crushed. Your faith is not crushed. How have you grown in all the things that have happened to you over the last couple of years?
1: My, um, the way that I pray is different. The, my my uh, overall... Faith uh, has been has adapted to be less self-serving, if that makes sense. Um, instead of praying, um, God give me this, help me do this, it's turned to God use me to help these people, the people that I care about, the people that I love, um, to keep them with their eyes on God. Because I I haven't really lost sight. Uh, I don't understand all the time clearly, uh, but. Not um, making sure that other folks that I care about uh, understand that even though I'm hurting, I'm still looking to God, and I want you to look to God with me because I can't do this by myself.
0: Heather, how about you? I mean, most people probably know what you went through, and if you want to catch them up to speed, that's up to you. But um, how have you learned to trust God during... these times over the last four years? Well, I... I think it's on. It is on.
2: I I feel like it's really been an opportunity to take the knowledge that I was like constantly gaining about God and worried about feelings. It's funny you said that, because I remember being in college and like, I don't feel God and I don't, you know, but when you're in, the midst of, um, your trials, you, I felt God. I felt Mm -hmm. prayers. I felt, you know, I I knew people were praying for me. I knew God was there. Um, we lost, um, our son Luke four years ago. It's almost in two weeks. And, um, just, I have leaned a lot on just be still and know that I am God because I, I, I don't have words, I can't, I, d- I don't know what to do. It's like God was like, okay, you have to rest, like you have to just be still. And, you know, there are times, this song we're about to sing, God, you are good, I can't always sing those words. I, I stand in the congregation and I listen, and I know that it is true, but I can't always voice it. And, um, but I know it. And I know that, what I've learned and what I take from my knowledge of the Bible is that when David lost his son with Bathsheba like he he had to get up he, he got up and he praised God he, he he was mad he mourned but he got up and when job went through his trouble like he got up and you know it's not saying that we can't be down in it we can't mourn you can't It's not that you can't feel depressed, you can't feel your feelings, it's that you have to know, you have to be still and know that he is God and you have to get up and just trust and obey and be here and listen to the words even if you can't sing them.
0: Well, when we were talking before you had shared about the the book, did you bring the book up again? I did not bring
2: it up. Okay,
0: um, but tell us that. That was um, was so good.
2: I bought this devotional. Um, I bought it for Abigail, but I was reading it, and it was clearly I bought it for myself. Um, God wanted me to have it because one of the devotional pages is about when Jesus has been preaching and he sends his disciples ahead. And then he goes and he prays, and it's a it's a Max Licato um, um, book, and he says that maybe he was praying because there was a storm. So the storm hit the disciples, and they're not getting anywhere, and they're so scared. And so Jesus prays, and then he goes. And what Max Licato says is that Jesus prays for you, and then he helps you. And um, Luke twenty-two. When um, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and He says to Peter, "I prayed for you that you do not lose your faith," and I felt that like when I read that to Abigail, and this was just last year. It's a brand new book, you know. We're four years in, and I I could barely read it to her because I was like, "I'm where I am. I am laying here reading this book with you because Jesus prayed for me when." I don't have the words to pray and you know the Holy Spirit's interceding for me but at the same time Jesus is praying for me that I don't lose my faith and and that's why that's why I'm here because Jesus
0: Well, as church family I hope you'll continue to pray DJ's right in the midst his family's right in the midst of this loss and 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 there's we can't really say what's going on but there's a silver lining possibly that could come about through that and um, with, a, with another child, uh, the twins, and, and so we're just in prayer for that, but um, loss is tough, and whether that loss is something like a child, which none of us as parents ever hope that could ever happen, but whether it's just insults and mockery and just, why are you a Christian, you know, you know come and, and live life, you know, you only have this time of life one time, you know, live it up now and then later on you can be serious or whatever, and that's Satan trying to tempt you and trying to get you to turn from your faith. But Scripture says that you're afflicted, but if your faith is real, it won't be crushed, and you'll keep strong even in those failures and those moments. Remember these stories and remember God is faithful to those who He loves and who are His. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that. Sorry about that. I pray that you will be honored through. These conversations today, God, I pray that those who are hurting in here, and we see people wiping away tears. We see people who are struggling, even in their own life right now. God, we know that it's part of being human. But, God, we want your peace that passes understanding in those moments. We want to know your presence. We want to know that you care and you love us. And, God, I pray you'll increase our faith to, to really believe What you say is true, that you are good and you love us. And God, help us to remember the cross because the cross is the definitive action for all of eternity that proves to us that you really do love us. Because if we have 80 or 90 years on this life, we will suffer, but in eternity with you, because you paid for our sins, you took the suffering that we deserved, you took the pain. And the stripes that should have been on our back. And you are abused and mocked and abandoned for our sin. So that we could have life eternal, God. In that we find such joy and such hope. And so God, I pray, be with us, sustain us. Help us to know your presence. But most importantly, help us to remember the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.